Thanks for having me. <laughs> to begin, uh, I'd like to thank, on behalf of uh, the class of 2021, our thanks to everyone who made this experience possible for us, um, and most of all, the teaching faculty and our parents. Um, I would also like to welcome all of our guests today, um, and especially Bishop Peprocki and uh, members of the Board of Governors who were able to make it. Um, I will now address my classmates. It seems natural that this address should offer some reflection on our recent education and the diverse benefits that we've received from it. Um, and since to do this exhaustively would be impossible for any speech, I will aim in this address to just weigh one or two of the most valuable benefits we've received and uh, see which of them is the greatest. Um, now, I am not hoping to say what might have been the, the greatest benefit to any given one of us. I know that this place, like all sacred and sunny hollows, has produced many private experiences of inestimable value. Uh, perhaps one of us was given a moment of peace while following diligently the wanderings of a distant star. Perhaps another of us sitting alone before the Blessed Sacrament was given the solution to a problem which had frustrated his faith, just as rosy dawn stained the glass windows of our beautiful chapel. I myself remember a moment of absolute adoration inspired by the brilliant green that consumed our cross hill when the grass grew back after the fire. I think that that experience might have happened with any other shade of green, but it had to be that hill, our hill, somehow intimately involved in the life we live here. Now, these experiences are difficult enough to translate from one's own memory, and so, again, though each or some of us may remember some such moment and hold it dearly as the most valuable benefit we've received in these four years, I'm not hoping to describe that. I am hoping um, in this speech to identify what might be the most valuable possession which each and every one of us possesses as graduates of Thomas Aquinas College. The first candidate, of course, must be the knowledge we have gained here. The best of us came to this place because although the truth is everywhere, here also are those who can teach us to see it. Um, the rest of us at least expected to come away in some way wiser than we came. Now, <clears throat> clearly, since we came here in pursuit of the truth, if we have now caught up with it and possess it, this must be the greatest thing we have received. This point is clear enough. I will not draw it out. We are not yet in possession of the truth. Some of you may feel indignant at my saying this, but more likely the greater part would agree. Perhaps this is even something that we all already know, but is nonetheless better said, lest anyone should think we are ignorant of it. On some level, this should not be surprising. Aristotle says in his ethics that because young people lack experience, they cannot be good students, not only of politics, but also of natural science and metaphysics. He says that young people concerning the first principles of these sciences have no conviction, but merely use the proper language. 
I'm inclined to think he is right. Perhaps there are a few wise souls among us, but from my own internal experience, I think we are all still very young. Again, in some way, this is not surprising. It even seems as though the primary intention behind the senior year curriculum, introducing us to metaphysics and the summits of revealed theology, was to remind us before we leave how much still remains beyond our understanding. I think the same intention has been well served every day of our four years by the Socratic discussion method. It often seems, sometimes frustratingly, that no matter how well we discuss a given topic in class, the conversation is never complete. It's not difficult for a lecturer to speak seemingly exhaustively on a subject as though there were nothing more to be said, but this is simply not possible in the Socratic method. Class always seems to end before we can say everything that ought to be said. I see this as an unqualified advantage of our method over lecture-based methods. That is to say, it takes only a little reflection to see that we have not yet seized the truth. Now, there is a temptation in this reflection to conclude, therefore, that we have gained no certain knowledge beyond the Socratic truth, I know that I know nothing. I do not mean to espouse or encourage this position. Although we can only profit from the humility of this ethos to deny having gained any certain knowledge would be a gross injustice to our teachers and ourselves. <clears throat> if we, having drawn near to receive the nourishing truth, had gained nothing of the kind, we would not love our alma mater. To be clear, it is my firm belief that if, after these four years, there is nothing you can point to as your own certain intellectual possession. Nothing but your own failings can be held responsible for this. That being said, it is not too humble to say that the knowledge we are taking with us is only a beginning or a seed of the beginning of wisdom. This being the case, it seems to me entirely possible that we may have received something else more valuable than this knowledge. In the metaphysics, Aristotle says that it is absurd to seek at the same time knowledge and the way of attaining knowledge and that neither is easy to obtain. Let us assume for argument's sake that our teacher's primary objective was the latter and that they have been successful. If they have been successful and we now possess the intellectual possessions, um, I'm sorry, the intellectual dispositions or habits or whatever else may be necessary to gain the experience which will one day allow us to truly know, these then must be our most valuable possessions. For most of us, this is the end of our life as professional students. Beyond this, there will be no curriculum. We will need to choose our own intellectual endeavors and investigations. We ought to take heart and hope. Our universal success in this program is a sign that we are equipped to carry on our intellectual pursuit and someday reap the fruits of our labor in the wisdom of old age. But how reasonable is this hope? We have been living an almost consecrated life here, protected by these fair hills from the practical cares of adult life. In a very real way, we have been living something like a second childhood. We ate and drank and slept and ran around as children and because we were children. In doing so, we have become men and women. Here in our second childhood, we read and talked and still ran around and ate and drank as human beings and precisely as an exercise of our humanity. In doing so, we became, even if only for a time, a true community. 
What if, however, without the protection of this life, the greater part of us are unable to carry on the pursuit? What if, never again, on a Monday or a Thursday night, we pick up a charming but foolish leather-bound book? Um, What if we should do something and not think about it? God forbid, but perhaps we shall do this many times and never once think of what we've done. I am speaking of the worst case, about if we become bad. But why should we become bad, friends, when what we have seen is so good? And perhaps our seeing has been more like touching, but therefore, shouldn't we be more moved? (laughs) What I mean is this. uh, When something touches you, it is very difficult from that sense alone to say what that thing is. But it is impossible to deny that something has touched you. Our meeting with the light of truth has been like this. Something much greater has touched us. And no one can deny that he has felt it. Even if, at some later time, one of us should want to deny ever having this feeling, he cannot escape wondering if he can remember how good were the times we had here and the friends we made. Why why were they so good if not because we loved something good? Truly, there is nothing higher or stronger or sounder or more useful than some beautiful and sacred memory. For most, this sacred memory takes the form of some imperfect but immaculate childhood memory from the parental home. Perhaps this is because, for most, this is their most recent recollection of a life lived for its own sake. We at Thomas Aquinas College have been given another childhood, another opportunity, this time in the bloom of our humanity to drink and to eat and to think and to live. To live and to learn that to think is to live. If only by some grace we can remember how here we all learned to love and tried to love what we could only begin to learn. Why should we become bad? Nor should it cause us to stumble if, holding dearly these sweet memories, we should find that among them something bitter exists. Should find that at times we were mistreated. Or, what is worse, that we mistreated another. Instead, let us thank God that we ever did more than this, that we lived here, we truly lived, and that we loved and were loved, and so became, for a time, perhaps better than we truly are. To conclude, if ever someone speaks the word heaven, and before your more educated part has a chance to correct itself, your mind flies back to this place, to the people, to that sometimes green and sometimes brown hill with the little white cross on top. Know that it can only be because here we lived, even if only shallowly, and for a short time, the life of the mind 
which is eternal life. If we can preserve within us this sacred memory of the life we lived here, surely we ourselves will be preserved from that life which is not worth living, the unexamined life. Even if only once, God should use the memory of this place to save us from acting without thinking and so doing something that we are afraid to think about. Surely this will be of infinite value. Thank you.